Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to finish our study in this chapter. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In verse 1 of chapter 6, in working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says... At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You may be seated. All week long, (laughs) I have been so excited to teach these verses This morning, I'm sitting here, I'm standing here, and I already, you guys know me, I already have that ADHD kind of vibes. I know I get that, like Ryan's bouncing around, and I just kind of feel like a horse kind of ready, like just open that gate, like I am ready to go. Church, these are some of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. These are some of the most just amazing verses verses that we find in scripture. And so look look at with me verse 16. We're just going to dive right in. I cannot wait. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Now, anytime we see the word therefore, remember, it should cause us to look backwards a little bit, right? To, To look back. What has just been said? Because this is a continuation. Because of what's been said, therefore, now this coming part is true. And if we look back from our last uh, study together two weeks ago, Paul is building on the gospel that he had previously shared in verse 14 and 15. He said, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so Paul is building on the good news that Christ died for us. Christ died to free us from from being so self-absorbed, right? So we can live for the glory of God. He, He died, again, to free us from living for ourselves and to draw us into his kingdom where we can fully live for him. 
And so based on that wonderful news, he says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Now, this is counterculture to the world that we live in, right? Because in our world, our world looks at external impressivenesses, right? How good looking is somebody? How, how much are, is their net worth? I Google that with celebrities all the time. Like I was just recently doing that with a local celebrity here. I'm like, what is their net worth? Like I'm just curious, right? Who are their friends? How much power, how much influence do they have? The world, again, the world, our culture looks at external impressiveness. But as we looked at two weeks ago, God looks at the heart, right? God sees not as man sees. God looks at the, our integrity. God looks at our character. God looks at our motives, who we are behind the surface. And Paul says, I even used to do that. But ever since he came to know Jesus, the way that he views people has radically changed. He no longer evaluated people based on external worldly standards as the false teachers did. He no longer asked to see, well, let me see your resume. Right? Where did you go to school? How many degrees do you have? No, he no longer looked at people's performances and, and how valuable they would be to be part of the inner circle of the ministry. If you remember, the religious leaders in Corinth, they put too much emphasis on the outward appearance. And this was their main concern with Paul. Paul, to them, was not impressive. He wasn't eloquent enough in his speech. He suffered too much for them. They, they thought, man, Paul, when people look at you, they don't go, wow, we really want to follow Pastor Paul. Like, this guy is incredible. No. But Paul says in verse 16 that because of the transformative work of the gospel in our lives, he says, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Colossians 3, Paul would write, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And he says in the second part of verse 16, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. He's saying that we even used to see Jesus the, the ways of Jesus we used to see as being weak, as being pathetic, as being foolish and unimpressive. But now, now that our eyes are open, now that we've been transformed by the gospel, we see Jesus for who he is. And the gospel has the ability to change the way that we view one another. Amen? The gospel, right? The gospel, this world can't do that. Our culture can't do that. But the gospel does. And now when we come to verse 17... We look not just as how we view others, but how we see ourselves. And I love this verse. If you don't have it highlighted or underlined, you need to. Therefore, he says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Church, that verse alone is one of the most powerful, straightforward verses in all of the Bible. He says, if anyone, this is the greatest invitation for humanity, anyone. It doesn't matter what social class, it doesn't matter what race, what nationality you are, what language you, you speak, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how much education you have, it doesn't matter if you grew up poor in the, in the ghetto or, or in a nice suburban, you know, metropolitan city, like in a safe neighborhood with a gate in front. No, Paul is saying that this truth, the reality of the gospel can be applied to anyone, 
Anyone has the opportunity to become a new creature. Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter 1, he says, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? He says, for it is the power of God for salvation. He says, to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the, to the Greek. He says, so if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, we're no longer trusting in ourselves, not what you can do. No, you're not even trusting in religion. You're not tr trusting in what you can accomplish. You are simply trusting in what Jesus has accomplished for you. And he says, if anyone does that, he is a new creature. He's a new creature. When you come to Christ, you, we're, we're not just a patched up, old, run down, but duct taped together kind of creature. No. Paul says we're a new, your translation might say, creation. Brand new. That is, in Christ, we've been given a new life with a new heart, with a new mind, with new desires. Amen? In other words, let me boil it all down. Jesus changes everything. That's the amazing power of the gospel. That was pathetic, okay? If you're going to clap, clap, all right? If you're not going to clap, don't clap, all right? <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. And all of this, church, all of this can be ours. Not by striving, not by being good enough for a long period of time, not by making up for, for your past mistakes, not by working towards this at all, but all of this is made possible by grace. By grace. And Paul is saying that if you are in Christ, I love this, this is who you are. This isn't just who you're going to be. This is who you are. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so when you're tempted, when, when, you're, when you've been tried, you can say, that. no, no, that's not who I am anymore. That's the old, that's the old Ryan, right? That's, that's not, that, that old me is gone. The new has come. I think of a, a, a story of Augustine. He was a theologian in the fourth century from North Africa. And he came to know the Lord later in life, maybe more in his like mid-30s. But all early, prior to coming to know the Lord in his 20s, he lived a life just with, filled with sexual promiscuity. Girlfriend after girlfriend after girlfriend, sleeping around, had a child out of wedlock. He goes to Italy, he's from Africa, and has this conversion experience with Jesus. Just this radical conversion, commits his life to Christ, and then he comes back to his, his hometown in, in North Africa, and he found himself walking down, down the road one day, and all of a sudden he, he hears his name, Augustine, Augustine. But he ran away, and he recognized the voice, he recognized who it was. It was an old girlfriend, if you will, kind of someone he had formerly known. And again, she kept coming after him, Augustine, it is I, it is I, mentioning her name. But then Augustine turns around and says to her, but it is not I. The old Augustine is dead, and I am a new creature in Christ. You see, that's what Paul's saying here. The old is gone, the new has come. And for many of you and for many of us, the old has a way of coming after us. It might be a certain lifestyle that you might have put off years ago, but now it's popping its head up. 
It might be seeking the pleasures of this world. It might be just escaping the pressures of life and diving into fantasy land. Again, the old us is coming after us saying, it is I, it is I, it is I. But we have to say, may we say, but it is not I. That is not who I am anymore. I am a new creature in Christ. Church, we have to recognize that Christ has made us new. And some of us have been made new, but we're living out of our old self. And let me just say that Christ would call you to come back today. Christ would call you to come back. And listen, when we read verses like this, the old is gone, the new has come, this doesn't mean that it's easy. This doesn't mean that your past doesn't affect you anymore. Sometimes you might have a, 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 a conversion with Jesus, an experience with Jesus, and just the, the cravings for that sin that you were in bondage to are just completely gone. That is an amazing story. Others of us, like we have to continue to kill the flesh like every day and die to, die to ourselves. But this doesn't mean that it's easy to walk in this new identity that's ours. Because although we're being made new, we are being made new in a broken and fallen world. And the struggle, and, and, and just we're going to continue to struggle and, and experience the pains and trials of life. But as we're being made new, we have to remember the context of 2 Corinthians. That God is making us new, um, not that we could just go, grow and become independent and strong on our own. No, we're being made new so that we would learn to rely on the Lord more and more and more in our lives. So that in Christ, we can actually embrace our weakness and experience his strength. So Paul is saying, in Christ, you are a new creature. And then in verse 18, he says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So as new creatures in Christ, Paul says that we're defined in two ways. This means two things, that we're reconciled to God, and secondly, we're called into the ministry of reconciliation. Now what is reconciliation? In short, reconciliation is the reestablishment of a broken relationship. Whether it's a broken marriage, whether it's a friendship where there's been a rift or a work relationship where things have gotten awkward and tense, any relationship where it was once good but there becomes a rift and in that rift is filled with tension and, and hostility, reconciliation is the healing of that, is the mending of that relationship. And so Paul is talking here about being reconciled to God. And some of you, you might hear that if you're not a follower of Jesus and, and you might be like, well, do I need to be reconciled? Like, I don't think I've done anything to like offend him or, you know, like, I don't think, our, our, I think I'm good with God. I don't think there's anything broken. But listen, the Bible says that our deepest need, each and every one of us, is to be reconciled with God, to God. And think about it this way. The more important the relationship is, the greater need there is for reconciliation in that relationship, Right? Like, if I get into a squabble, I was thinking about it this week, if I get into a squabble with the mailman, like, I want to reconcile with him, right? I don't want to make the mailman mad, right? But if I can't reconcile that relationship, like, it's not going to keep me up at night, right? Like, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Like, do your job. Drop off the mail and leave, right? right? <laughs> Sorry if you're a mailman. Like, you know, like. <laughs> but if I get into a, 
squabble with my wife <laughs> or fight with my wife, that's going to hit me and impact me differently, right? Well, man, I might actually lose sleep over that, right? I want to fix that. I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it. What did I do? And, you know, I'm racking my brain. Like, I can't stop thinking about it until we talk things out. Why? Because my relationship with my wife is more important than my relationship with the mailman. And I have a good relationship with my mailman, okay? <laughs> so, again, the greater the relationship, the greater the need for reconciliation, can I just say this? There is no more important relationship than with your maker. The one who thought of you in the very first place, who created you in his image out of love. And you might be here today and you're, you're patching up relationships with friends and coworkers and, and all of these relationships that you're just man-pleasing and all of these things. They're, they're little relationships. They're casual friends. You might be chasing person after person. Like, be my friend, be my friend, forgive me. And you're like, you did nothing. And you're just like, you're trying to seek the approval. All the while you have been neglecting the greatest, the most important relationship in your life, and that is with Jesus. And the Bible is, calls us to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled. Our greatest need is to be reconciled. Why? Because although God is our maker, sin, our sin, your sin, has fractured, has broken that relationship, and yet I love that this passage today declares the amazing news that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Church, this is powerful. <laughs> and you might be here today, and you, and, and you might be thinking, okay, this, this, this sounds good. Like, I don't want to be in a squabble with God, but it, it kind of sounds almost too good to be true. And you might be wondering, like, is, is reconciliation even possible? Like, is it possible for me? Like, who does this work? Is it us? Do, do we have to work our way to God? Do we have to fix our relationship with God? Like, how much do I need to patch up? Like, I know I've done my fair share of, like, breaking apart the relationship. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me again. He says, now all these things, notice this, underline these three words, are from God, <laughs> who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Paul says that all of this is from God. All of it's from God. God is the one who takes the initiative isn't that wonderful? But God is the one who pursues us. God is the one who makes a way. And, and just think about how crazy that is because it was our sin that broke the relationship in the first place. It was your sin and my sin that created a wedge between us and God. And yet God is the one who initiates. So who does this? It's God's work. This is what God does. God desires to do in your life. And again, you might be hearing this. You're like, okay, this still seems too good to be true, Pastor. How is this possible? How does God bring about this reconciliation? Is this just theory? Is this the, just a, a doctrine or theology? No, no, no. Look at verse 19 again. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He says, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And so in order to reconcile us back to himself, he has to deal with sin. Because that is what comes in between us and God. 
And so how does God do this? Paul says, not by counting our trespasses against us. So, so that leaves the logical question, well, what about our trespasses, right? Well, what happens to our sin? Like, does he just, like, forgive it and it's just all gone? Like, does he just forget about it? Or, like, what happens? Well, the Bible is very clear over and over again that God will not merely acquit the guilty. God is holy. God is just. He cannot and he will not simply overlook sin. So, so how does God, you might ask, how does God bring about reconciliation? We'll skip verse 20 for just a second and look at verse 21. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. He made him, that is God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Highlight that verse in your Bible. (laughs) Paul is describing the depths of what happened on the cross that makes all of this good news. And he's talking about Jesus here who, who knew no sin. That is, he, he lived his, his entire life perfectly sinless. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he did was towards his father, was loving, was, was perfect, was right towards his friends, towards the whole world. He kept the whole law. He always did what was right. He was truthful. He was honest. He was merciful, just, kind, patient. We can go on and on. And yet... Paul says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Listen, the very one who had no sin of his own became sin. Became sin. What does that mean, that Jesus became sin? I think in two ways, I think this is what it means. Number one, that Jesus became a sin offering. It became a sin offering. In the Old Testament, you had the sacrificial system where they would take that unblemished lamb and the, the lamb would be sacrificed. The lamb would, would, would bear the sins of the people in their place so that they could be forgiven. It would be a sacrifice of atonement. If you ever heard that word, it means at one with, right? At one with God, atonement, reconciled to God in a way that deals with sin. And so when it says that Jesus became sin, he's saying that he became a sin offering. I think of John the Baptist, he would say, behold, the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. But secondly, Jesus bore the penalty for our sin. He bore the shame. He bore bore the curse, the judgment, the death that you and I deserve because of our sin. He took it all. In other words, Christ died on the cross in our place as our substitute for our sin. Isn't that good news? You can't, you can't think of this passage without going back hundreds of years to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about Jesus in Isaiah 53. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is that substitute who dies in our place. Again, can I just say it one more time? This is amazing news. 
But the good news doesn't stop there. It doesn't end there. Look at verse 21 again with me. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's just the first half of that verse. So that, like it was producing something in us, right? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can I get an amen to that? Because far too often, I think what happens is when people hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, right? Right, to give me a, a blank slate, to give me a second chance and all of these things. No, 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 listen, listen, it is so much more than that. It is so much more. You see, the substitution goes both ways. That Jesus takes our sin upon himself and at the same time we get his record of righteousness imputed to us in our account. Amen? So we're washed of our sins, but we're not just merely given a blank slate to start over again. No, we have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That means when you think about the life of Jesus, when you read through the Gospels and you read through the red letters, everything that he did, the healings, the miracles, the the perfect life, all that he did and said, it's been credited to us by grace through faith so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our past, he doesn't see all of our mistakes and our guilt. No, all of that has been removed in the blood of Jesus and he sees us in the righteousness of Christ. Come on, amen? And so as Paul is talking about reconciliation with God, he says this at the end of verse 20. Do not miss this. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I want to say the same thing to you today. I want to plead with you. I want to beg you today to be reconciled to God. You and I were created to know God. And yes, our sins have have broken that. It has come in the way of that. But through the cross, Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. And if you've walked into this room today, this building, not feeling right with God, feeling far and distant from God and not knowing God, the call for you, the invitation for you today, don't miss this, is to be reconciled to God. To be reconciled, to trust in him and receive his grace. So in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, but it doesn't just stop there. Paul goes on to say that in Christ, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me read verses 18 and 19. We're just going to saturate ourselves in these verses, but I'm going to emphasize it a little different. He says, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Paul is saying that something has been given to us in verse 18. And in verse 19, he says that we've been committed, or maybe your translation might say entrusted. We've been entrusted with a mission. And this reminds us that this is God's mission. This is, this is not our mission. This is God, God's mission. God is the one who reconciles. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
Think about it. An ambassador is someone who is sent as a representative of one country to another country. And so Paul is saying that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's our ultimate allegiance. That is our, our home. But we, so we are citizens of the kingdom of God. But God has sent us into this city. He, God has sent us into Portland as his ambassadors, as his representatives to be a witness for him. I mean, think about what an amazing privilege and responsibility and honor that is, right? you got to think about it like this. If the president were to call you, I'm sure you'd have some words with him. But, you know, what if he says, hey, Ryan, I would love for you, I would love for you to represent the United States in this other country. Would you, would you go on behalf of the United States of America? Think about what a privilege, what a responsibility, what an honor that would be. Some of you are like, I don't know if I would represent it right. But, like, you know, like, that would be a privilege. And yet, can I just say this? How much more the king of the universe has chosen us, all of us, to be ambassadors to the city that he has called us to? He wants to make his appeal. What Paul is saying is he wants to make his appeal to, through us, to the people of Milwaukee to the people of Gladstone, to the people of Oregon City and Clackamas and Happy Valley and Portland and the Selwood area, all of it through us. He wants to show his love through his beloved. He wants to show that he is a God of peace through the peacemakers. He wants to show that reconciliation is possible through the reconciled. Church, Jesus loves Portland. Jesus loves Gladstone. This is not just a, a catchy slogan. This is his heart. And he has called us to buy into his mission because we have been radically saved. Because we've been transformed. We've been reconciled. And because of that, he says, we've given you the, the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Don't just hoard it to yourself. You see, the word or, or the message of reconciliation is evangelism. He's talking about going out and telling people the good news. The good news about Jesus and that he came to set people free from their sin. To go to people who just think, oh, yeah, there might be a God, but he doesn't love me. He just wants to make my life miserable or he wants to punish me. No, no, no. We go to him and say, no, Jesus changed my life and he can change yours. And so we're called to be bold witnesses for Christ. So, again, we've been given the word. We know the gospel. We've been given the message of reconciliation. But also, he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, the ministry of reconciliation is really what flows from the reconciliation that we have with God. But now it overflows to others. For Paul, in the context, you know, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And between him and the church, they've had a rocky relationship. They've been accusing Paul of things. They've been questioning his authority. And then he shows up and he has this hard conversation with them. He sends them that letter of tears. Like they've had a tough relationship over the years. And Paul's reminding them that we are a people who have a ministry of reconciliation. And he's actually seeking that with them in this letter. And so for us as a church, we have this ministry of reconciliation with one another as well. Because in the church, and if you don't know this already, it's, you're going to find out eventually, but you're going to deal with things with people. You're going to go through things where you're going you're gonna to maybe fight with someone in the church. Not, not like physically, like that might happen, I don't know, but hopefully not. 
right? Where we're going to disagree with one another. People might actually even offend you and hurt you. But we're called here to be a people who learn to forgive. We're, we're, we're called to be a people who learn to reconcile, who, who learn to work through the challenges that come from relationships. Rather than just moving on to the next friendship. Oh, that's so easy. Like, okay, they, they hurt me. I'm going, moving on. Rather than just moving on to the next church down the road and, and just having a pattern and a lifetime of just skipping along, bouncing around, I believe, church, it is the Lord's heart for us that we grow deeper with one another and we learn to be in it for the long haul with each other. So we're called to have a ministry of reconciliation with one another. And we get to show that off to the world. The amazing things that God can do in us and through us. Here's the reality. In our culture, we are divided in so many ways, are we not? I want to bring up one quick way that we're divided. And we're divided in the area of race. It is absolutely heartbreaking. It feels like we have, not we, but the country has forgotten all about the civil rights movement. And we are now resegregating. I don't know if you guys pay attention to the news, but now in colleges, there are dorms specific for different races, different ethnicities. It, is, there, it, it, it just blows my mind. If we don't learn from history, we repeat history. And it is so sad to see how far we've come and to see us repeat history. But let me just say this, because the world's getting dark. Where it's the darkest, our light can shine the brightest. And we as the church have an opportunity to have a ministry of reconciliation, to show the reconciling power of the gospel in our community. So my prayer is that when people look at Calvary Southeast, they're like, wait, 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 how are they all getting along? <laughs> how are they all loving each other? How, how are they all just like loving and respecting one another? They all come from different backgrounds. They all come from different cultures. And yet we're following Jesus together. Because although the culture wants to divide us again based on the color of our skin and our different backgrounds, Jesus brings us together. There shouldn't be, can I just say this? There should not be a white church and a black church and a Hispanic church and an Asian church. There is one church. We are one people, all sons and daughters, under the blood of Jesus Christ. And this world cannot offer that. This world cannot offer that. Jesus can offer that. Because when we read in Ephesians 2, when Christ died on the cross, it tore down the dividing walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. The ethnic barrier has been demolished and God has made one people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The New Living says this in Ephesians 2, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by, by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. So we're called to have a ministry of reconciliation. But we have to learn that we can't do it in our own strength. Right, this isn't possible in our own effort. 
Keep reading in, verse, in chapter 6 of verse 1. It says this, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so Paul says, we're working together with God. And the way this works, it's, it's not God does his part and then we do ours. No, no, no. That's how a lot of people think this means. No, God, God is doing all of the work and we simply get to participate in it. We get to participate. He started it and he's going to finish it. And yet he invites us to be involved in that work. And so, again, when we talk about the Gladstone outreach, we get to do what, we get to partner with God in this. We get to show up and, and smile and tell them that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. We get to work with God. This is amazing. And then he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 6, and he says, for he says, he, he quotes Isaiah 9, at the, or 49, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. He says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is an urgency to this message. Tomorrow is not promise. I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but if there's one thing that the passing of my dad has, has left in me and taught me is that life is too short. Tomorrow is not promised, and now, he says, is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, today's your day. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So today, I don't know where each and every, every one of you are at. I want to plead with you, though. Be reconciled to God. And then to recognize that you've been drawn into God's ministry and mission of reconciliation. There's a theme in, the, in, these pas- in, this, in this passage. Josh and the worship team, they can, they can come forward and, and um, get ready to lead us in worship. But there's a theme in the, in the passage. I don't know if you guys caught it. And I just want to close with these thoughts. Paul says, in Christ, you are a new creature. He says in this passage, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. And then he says, in Christ, we are given a ministry of reconciliation. Church, it all comes back to Christ. Listen, if you ever get lost in Christianity, if you ever get confused, come back to Jesus. If you ever like, man, I can't track with this preacher. <laughs> he's too ADD for me. He talks too fast. He's a kind of a spaz. Listen, if you can't follow me, if you can't follow me, follow Jesus. If you're like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do there. And you're all mixed up and confused in your life. Again, just come back to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. That God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. He has given us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus. Jesus said himself, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So today, I wanna call you to turn from your sins and to trust in Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. 
Join us next week as we continue in our study together.